It's so good to see you all this morning. Welcome to 1111 downtown. I am uh, Tom McDermott. I'm the pastor of this community, and I uh, see we have some visitors. It's so good to see you all here with us as well. I want to make sure that while I'm talking, real quick, that you uh, r- fill out your, your cards there. Let us know that you are with us here so we can keep in touch with you. Online, the same thing there. You'll see where you can do that online. We're so glad that you're joining with us in that way as well. Um, this morning, we, I've got a couple of quick things just to point our attention to while you're filling out those forms. The first thing is that we have a, a group that meets on Tuesday. Uh, I mentioned last week, you know, one of the things that we're finding out in this time that we're sort of, we, we, I can't say we're post-pandemic, right? We can't say we're post-COVID. We're still sort of stuck in COVID in many different ways. But we are getting together in small groups and in different contexts and trying to remind ourselves that we are communities still. Some of these are online and some of these are in person. You'll see them at the end of the bulletin. And if you're wondering where the bulletin is, sometimes we have it physically and today we have it um, Visual, um, digitally. I was going to say mentally, but no, you don't have it mentally. No, uh, we have it digitally. So if you didn't get a chance to scan one of these codes on the wall or on either of these uh, music stands or on the back tables, do that when we're saying hello to one another in just a minute and uh, make sure you pull up that. I will give you a quick hint. It is a little difficult if you leave your Wi-Fi on on your phone. So Turn your Wi-Fi off. That will only pick up the very first one we ever did about a year ago. So you have to use your cell signal because it, can, it, can, it starts to get in competition with the Wi-Fi in the building, which is kind of strange. It's a little bit uh, ghostly. So turn your Wi-Fi off. Turn, make sure your phone signal's on. Scan the picture. Uh, scan the code, and you'll pull up the bulletin. Lots of interesting information on the bulletin, too. If you go to the end of it, you'll find another code that you can scan for information about volunteer opportunities, including the Taste Project here in Fort Worth, where we have a team that's going to be visiting and serving there on a weekly basis. You might want to be a part of that. There's other opportunities here at the church, at the larger church, which we're part of, First United Methodist. Lots of opportunities there to uh, be involved with, and you can find all of those things, as well as greeting and other things you can do with this service. You can find them all on that code. If you scan it, you'll see those opportunities where you can sign up. You can also see them on the back table if you'd like to do that while you're uh, in between visiting and then at the end. Or feel free just to get up, get coffee, take a look at that uh, a little later on. Um, the only other thing I want to say here is that we have a guest today with us on the, in the band. Uh, Lee couldn't be with us this morning, so we have David, Dave Alvarado with us. Some of you know Dave. He's been involved with this church for some time, and uh, he's also in the praise band or the band over there with the gathering, and so I think he found out about an hour and a half ago that he was going to be joining us this morning, so we're so glad that he bravely came over here and excited to see what happens. (laughs) And also glad to have Allison, his wife, here. Allison Alvarado is our executive director for the church, so it's nice to have her here. Yep. So I have to be on my absolute best behavior. Okay. Um, so that's our, our announcements for this morning. It's so good to have you all here. I'm going to let the band kick it off. What I will say with you this morning is we're still in the season of Epiphany, which is the season in which we, we talk about things being revealed. We talk about Epiphany as insights, but in the Christian uh, history or the Christian tradition, the idea of Epiphany is, of course, when the wise men found Jesus. But it's really more the idea of how God is revealed in the world, how sacredness is revealed in the world, how we experience the holy now in the world. That's really about what Epiphany is about. So today we're talking about how we experience the um, holy, or as I like to say, how we experience awe, especially in times of uncertainty. 
given that, as you think about it throughout the day, let this song sort of introduce the idea to you. My heart going 
Dave. Dave, so far so good. Nice. Yeah, that was awesome. That's a hard song, too. I don't know if y'all know this, Brad, when I talked with Brad this week, that that would be a great song. Brad's going like, that's a seven-count song. It's like not 4-4, four, four, it's not 3-4, it's a seven-count. And uh, it's awesome. That was nice. And you played guitar at the same time. That was good. Yeah. And, and I hope you'll go back and take a chance to look, take an opportunity to look at the lyrics of that song. It's really pretty profound what Peter Gabriel's saying there in terms of how we find ourselves in places of, of sort of... Um, uh, of, uh, of, 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 of almost a falseness, kind of the way in which we're sort of forced. We're going to be talking about zero-sum stories, the way in which we be- we're told that the world is about scarcity, when in fact the story we're about to read about Jesus is all about abundance. And so um, there's, there's a lot that's in, that, that's in that song that I think is instructive. And, and I think it leads us into this. Normally we'll have somebody else come up here and do our welcome candle. I just want to remind us from time to time as we've come back together about this thing that we've been using since pretty much we started. Um, Charm and I met way back in the beginning and said, I think this would be a great way to open up our services. And it, uh, it's an ancient uh, Middle Eastern uh, Rumi uh, of statement, which I think really encapsulates both what it means to be a part of this faith journey as, a part, as well as some of the uncertainties and some of the mistakes that we, decide, that we find ourselves in, and some of the times that we find ourselves falling or simply abandoning, and yet we're always being invited to come home, right? So let's do this together, our welcome candle. And if you're online, I invite you to find a candle, turn on a flashlight, look to the window, find the light inside yourself, and join us as we say this. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, it doesn't matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, even if you have broken your vows a thousand times, come yet again. I'd like to ask you great people to stand and sing a song with us now, would you please? It's a solid 11-11 original tune right here. Here we go. It's also a great time to bring your offering and attention. First one, here we go. There are no steps to this sacred dance, just the feel of your feet on the floor, right? Arms in the air, as green as your bird, and as simple as the wave on the shore. All right. The voices you heard, no power here, find a rhythm that fits how you live. Silence the critical voices inside us that strain our lives through a sip. Let's sing it, yeah. God of pleasure and wilderness, grant us the wisdom to dance with creation. God of wonder and bliss, give us love for the beauty of all our relations. Oh, yeah. As we stretch out. So let this dance be our prayer. Verse two, here we go. We move in a mystery of all that we see. We dance for the wonder of being. We dance through the struggles to remind us how the truth is finally free. 
Sisters and mothers, and let down your head. Come, stars of the morning, and darkest of night, for the joy of creation's God's greatest delight. God of pleasure and wilderness, grant us the wisdom to dance with creation. God of wonder and bliss, give us love for the beauty of all our Stretch out our hands to the heavens so big. God of pleasure and wilderness, grant us the wisdom to dance with creation. God of wonder and bliss, give us love for the beauty of all our relations. As we stretch out our hands to the heavens so this dance be our prayer. That was so pretty. Come on, y'all. Would you take a moment and offer one another a sign of peace, please?
We're moving into our uh, Kairos time, and we want to ask y'all to sing another song with us. We won't make you stand this time, though. Feels like this. We are going heaven knows where we are going we'll know we're there we will get there heaven knows how we will get there we know we're there it may be hard we know and the Sing it again. We are going. Heaven knows where we are going. We know where we will get there. Heaven knows how we will get there. We know we will. So, um, yeah, come on, you can come on up, yeah, so, um, so before we start with our sort of getting into this time of Kairos, which is this time that's present, not future, not past, trying to be present to the moment, um, I'm also been notified, I don't know if we're having signal, do you know if we're getting signal out? It seems like we are, well, some people have texted me saying they're not, so it must be an individual thing, so I'll just keep talking like somebody's there, Okay. <laughs> Because we have a lot of folks here. We're here. That's right. We're here. So um, so we have this practice that we bring up every Sunday. And, and it's, um, I, I talk about it as practice because it really is simply practice. It's also good for your, bo- your body and mind to be in these, to practice this mindfulness. I got a call from somebody not too long ago because we were talking about, we're, they're kind of keeping up with each other, kind of uh, coaching each other on, um, on if we're following up with our meditation practice, you know, just our time to be present and silent. And we might be thinking of that as prayer, but this is really a time to be silent, wordless, thoughtless, just to be present in the silence. The more we practice being aware of what's going on in those moments, 
like maybe itching or maybe a noise in the background or a crying baby or, or the train in my house that's a, a half a mile away, the train's always going. It's a way to sort of remind ourselves we're not failing at kind of being mindless. We're actually being very mindful of what we're doing. And that's the practice. So we have this thing that we have that we call a singing bowl. This is a rather large one. But I just use it to, hold a, to sort of focus our initial, our initial moments. And then I just invite you to find a calm place in your body, your eyes open, your eyes closed, whatever it takes for you to get in that calm space. And then to just begin to take deep breaths. I always recommend taking in a deep breath of, of five or six seconds and letting it out slowly for seven or eight seconds and doing that three times and just allowing yourself to be still in a world that is really quite busy. So let's, let's begin this time of Kairos. Holy One, who is and was and will be, who is present in the midst of the chaos and especially in the midst of the uncertainty. We gather as a people who are sometimes anxious, wondering, searching, full of love and full of grief. We live in a world that wants answers so quickly. We want to know yes or no. And yet it seems that when we open ourselves to the uncertainty that we live in constantly, it is there that we find the holy in one another and those who we may consider to be different we see that we are all one. And when we look into the eyes of another and those sacred moments when we are still and present, we see a reflection of ourselves and find something that we may not have ever known, but that is to be embraced. So as we breathe, as we live, as we seek, and as we search. May we do so with hope while offering peace and being present to the things that don't have answers, but that lead us on a journey to find one another, ourselves, and the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen. Amen. 
Some of you all remember, thank you, DeAndrea. <laughs> Some of you all remember last Sunday I did my re-gifting thing that I do annually where I find things around my house or my office that I'm incredibly attached to and decide I need to learn how to be unattached. <laughs> and so I, I see who else out there is experiencing some sense of calling to these things. It could be a book. It could be something from seminary. It could be a singing bowl, which it was. It was my very first singing bowl that I ever got. And um, Pat Adams um, actually called out and said she wanted that, which completely shocked me. <laughs> but it, she didn't have a mallet to, or a stick to go with it, so I'm going to make sure I give that to you now. <laughs> She tried to do it with a fork. <laughs> so, <laughs> that will work so much better. So, I want to read our, our text this morning, and I'm basically following the lectionary, which is that that's, that's a collection of readings that we find across the board with most Protestant churches that they use throughout the, uh, throughout the year, and they go through three cycles. We're in cycle A now. And this is for the second reading for the season of Epiphany. Comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses, verses 35 through 42, and I'm going to read from the message version. The next day, John was back at his post with two disciples who were watching. He looked up, saw Jesus walking nearby, and said, Here he is, God's Passover lamb. The two disciples heard him and went after Jesus. Jesus looked over his shoulder and he said to them, What are you after? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he replied, Come along and see for yourself. They came and they saw where he was living and they ended up staying with him for the day. It was late in the afternoon when this happened. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John's witness and followed Jesus. The first thing he did after finding where Jesus lived was to find his brother, Simon, telling him, We found the Messiah. That is, we found the Christ. He immediately led him to Jesus. Jesus took one look up and said, you're John's son, Simon. From now on, your name is Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. So, uh, first thing that came to my mind that I want to get out of the way before I forget it because it's not in my notes, <laughs> but it was that I've been listening lately to um, an interview with the Dalai Lama. Some, the uh, Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu put together this book called The Book of Joy. Now there's a, now there's a movie, a video, a documentary that's available online called, the, called Mission Joy, and it's really very interesting. But this interview on 10% Happier with the former anchorman Dan Harris is really fascinating because the very first week he's over there in, uh, in Tibet, and he's uh, with the Dalai Lama and maybe a hundred other people, many of, several of whom are significant sort of activists and leaders in various nonprofit organizations and, and political organizations. So he's there, they're all there for an audience with the Dalai Lama, which is a rare experience, you can imagine. And as they're listening to him, he gives his usual kind of spiel, his sort of, his sort of main line, which is, we are all one, we are all part of the same one love, one being, we are all interconnected, seven to eight billion of us, we are all one. And he kind of repeats that over and over in his broken English, and he has his interpreter there, but that's pretty much all he's saying. And, and so he interviews, he hears from different leaders that are present there, and different activists who stand up and they want to ask him questions. Most of them which are asking things like, how do we do this? How do we actually do this oneness thing in a world that's divided, in a world that's hateful, in a world that's violent, in a world that that's, has so much inequity? How do we do this, though? And then he would respond 
awkwardly with the same thing. We are all one. We are all one. Eight, to eight billion people. We are all still one. And this went on for about 45 minutes. And after a while, you could sense that the activists, I mean, this is a rare moment. The Dalai Lama doesn't give audiences with larger groups, rarely with anybody, but here he is, and he keeps saying the same thing, and you can feel the crowd getting restless. And Dan Harris is telling this story when he says, finally, a young man stood up from Ireland who has, has been an activist on the border of Ireland for several decades now, and he stands up and he says, Your Holiness, with respect, I'm tired of hearing this. This isn't helping. How can you keep saying this over and over? And the Dalai Lama pauses for a moment, and then he says the same thing. We are all one. We are all one. one seven to eight billion, we are all one. How can we be in conflict when we are all one? And then it finally the, the young man kind of gives up, and, and he gets, sits down, and it goes on like this for a minute. And then Dan says, really, the meeting just kind of stops awkwardly. And in silence... As the Dalai Lama is taking off his microphone, some of them heard him say, because it ended up on the recording, where he looked at his translator and he shook his head in frustration and said, we have to be loving because we are all one. And then he disappears. And it goes on for another four days, these uh, interviews and such. And it's really fascinating to listen to on 10% happiness, or 10% happier, if you find that podcast. It's a great podcast. Um, but one of the things that Dan Harris later finds out by talking to one of the guys who's been with the Dalai Lama, an English-speaking individual who's been with him for 40 years and done a lot of documentation about his life, one of, it, one of the things they come to the conclusion is, is what it reminded me here. This text begins with this beautiful thing that we miss entirely. It says, the next day, John was back at his post. Did you catch that? Or did we just go over that? Did we just read past that? Because here comes Jesus. John was back at his post. And what was his post all about? But speaking prophetically to the inequality in the, in the, in the, in the world at the time, to the, to the, uh, the presence of abuse and marginaliz marginalization, prophesying to the Messiah that would come and that would bring them back home, that would essentially take them to the kingdom of God, to what it meant to be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, John's writing, the gospel of John is written in retrospect. We know that. It's written almost two to three generations after Jesus' ministry. We know that. We know it's a pseudonymous name, so it's probably, well, it couldn't likely be the same John. But what the author is saying is beyond critical. It's, in, it's intensely important because John went back to his post. Can you think of anything in your life that you stake your post on? You stand firm on this post and you represent, right? The Dalai Lama has been standing that post since being exiled from Tibet when China took over decades ago. And has lived his life in mediating this conflict all those generations, all those years. He's never left that post reminding everyone we are all interconnected. We are all one. Who else? We know someone else who said that, right? We're celebrating his birthday today. We remember his birthday today. We uh, have a vacation tomorrow. <laughs> we remember Martin Luther King who said oftentimes 
that until we can recognize that we are interconnected and intertwined in one another's destiny, historically into the future, then we can never really be a part of that beloved community. In order to be a part of that, we have to recognize injustice to one is injustice to all. This is what I think is being offered in this, in this text that I think we miss. Because we get right to the part of Jesus calling the disciples. But John's already pointing out what's about to happen. He's been standing that post, prophesying and pointing to what does it mean to be a part of God's kingdom. So, I heard a story not too long ago about an Irish piper who was invited to go and play at a funeral. It was a funeral of somebody that nobody really knew, kind of a, kind of a homeless kind of person in ways. It was really no a family in the area. And so the funeral wasn't going to be attended by anybody, but the funeral director decided this man really needed to be honored. And he knew how wonderful a piper this guy was. And so he invited this, this uh, bagpipe player to come and play the Ilian pipes at his funeral, at his graveside. Now, the, the guy didn't really know where this was, but he got directions. But in the process of trying to get there, he got lost. And he couldn't find this gravesite. He couldn't find this cemetery. He searched for several hours and realized that by the time he was even going to get there, he was going to be at least an hour late. But nonetheless, he was determined, hoping that somebody would still be standing there and waiting. Well, he finally saw some people in the distance, some grave, some diggers, uh, grave diggers, and he saw kind of a tent that was up, and he saw that they were, there was a pile of dirt, and he thought to himself, oh my gosh, I... I, I can't believe it, but at least there's somebody there. And he felt so moved he was going to perform regardless of who was there because he was going to perform for the deceased. When he got there, he could see that the concrete box was in the ground now. And the, and the people who were digging the graves, the guys were just kind of standing there staring at him. And he apologized quickly, but then he just started playing. He was so embarrassed, he just started playing. Now, if you'd been there, you might have realized he was playing some of the most beautiful music you could imagine. He literally poured his heart out. In fact, as he looked up at one point while he was playing, he saw tears in the eyes of some of those who had been digging the hole. And after he finished Amazing Grace, he simply bowed silently as some of the men were wiping their eyes, and he turned and he started back to his car. And as he did, he couldn't help but hear one of the diggers talking to the other one saying, that's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. In all of my years of laying septic tanks, I've never seen anything quite so amazing. You had to wait a long time to get to that, didn't you? Yeah. Here's the thing we don't realize. He played his heart out anyway. What was his passion? Where do we stand our ground and point our lives towards this interconnectedness of who we are, regardless of what it is? If someone would have said... You were just digging a septic tank here. Would he have still played because he'd come to perform and to play his heart out? Would he have still done it in honor of that mystery? See, that's really what the invitation is for us to think about what Jesus is doing. When Jesus says, come and see, it's not simply like, come on, I'm going to do all these miracles. It's going to be amazing. It's really speaking to, I'm going to put you in, connect, in connection with the depth and being of love at the very depth and being of your heart. And you can't help, if you connect with that, you can't help but start sharing that. It'll be the post you stand by all the time. 
in a, in a little while, if you, go, if you go to the next chapter, there's another story that only John has, and you only hear it at weddings. You all know which one that is, right? It's the wedding at Cana. You always hear it quoted at weddings. It has nothing to do with the wedding, other than it's a celebration. But we say it at weddings all the time. What it really has to do with is reminding the listeners then as now Life is not a zero-sum story. When Jesus gets to, you'll remember the story, when Jesus gets there and he's with the disciples, it says, it literally follows this, this story of calling the disciples, Andrew and Nathaniel and a couple of others, and they all show up. The next thing they do is they go into Cana and they go to this wedding where his mother is kind of helping to host it. And, if, and as they're long into the celebration, it says they're long into the celebration, and now the wine is starting to, is starting to you know, uh, dry up. And, and so the, uh, the host comes to, to uh, his mother and says, we're out of wine almost. And Jesus says, you know, all right, fine. You know what? I guess I'll have to deal with this, essentially. And then turns the water, as you know, into wine, like 150 barrels. It's an ungodly amount of wine. And turns it into wine. And then the host says, Usually you drink the good stuff up front, the bad stuff's left for the end, but now you've put the bad stuff at the end. Well, a couple of points to make here. The story isn't about that. Because those people are already drunk. They've been at a wine, they've been at a wedding celebration for over a day. These things go on for a couple of days. They've been drinking for a couple of days. They wouldn't know good wine from bad wine. The point is that the good stuff is always there even in times of uncertainty, even in times when things look bad, the good is always present. It's always possible. What is it I've often said in here? That, that God is the redemptive possibilities in all of our moments. If you think about what that means, when we're paying attention to where we are and we realize that we are a part of the light of God, that we are a part of what Jesus represented in God, this love and this light that was extended to all of us, that we are part of this, that when we accept it for ourselves, when we participated in, in it, we reflect that. We don't reflect non-zero-sum stories. We reflect, I'm sorry, we don't reflect zero-sum stories. We reflect non-zero-sum stories. And you know what I mean by that? By what I mean by that is that it's not a scarcity model. It's a model of abundance where we can look at our strangers. We can look at our enemies. We can look at our awkward moments. We can even look at our own challenges, and we can start to remember, oh, yeah, this is an invitation to find the beauty, to find the wonder, to find the grace that's at the heart of this moment. And how we do that, of course, is kind of tricky. Let's see this first quote right here. We're celebrating, um, is this the first quote? It is. Huh. All right. For some reason, I don't have it at this spot. Okay, that's all right. It's a good quote. We'll read it now. <laughs> when I speak of love, I'm not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I'm speaking of that force which of all of the great religions have seen as the supreme underlying unifying principle of life. That love is somehow the key that unlocks the door which leads to ultimate reality. Martin Luther King once said, 
that just as Socrates felt that it was necessary to create a tension in the mind so that individuals could rise from their bondage of myths and half-truths to the unfettered realm of the creative analysis and objective appraisal so that we could see the need for nonviolent gadflies. I love that, nonviolent gadflies to create the kind of tension in society that will help people rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. In other words, he was saying, those who can see that they are a part of this interconnected reality of love are like Jesus. They, if, they're, if they're willing to, they stand at the posts. They say, come and see. And when they do, they begin to open up this possibility that others can begin to see it as well. If you haven't read anything by Valerie Carr, she's the author of Revolutionary Love. She's the Sikh woman who's what she called uncle. He wasn't an actual blood relative, but a distant cousin. But his, her, her uncle, distant relative, was the first person to be killed, murdered, after 9-11. And he was murdered because he was a Sikh. The guy who killed him didn't know he was Sikh. The guy who, who shot him thought that he was Muslim. And he had already de determined and told his friends he was going to go out and start shooting towel heads, as he said. His anger and his vindictiveness, but more than any of that, his fear that he couldn't get in touch with was driving him towards this kind of destructive, zero-sum way of seeing the world. When Valerie Carr heard this, she visited the family. She visited with her, with her cousin's family. She and her brother began to find ways of trying to fight this without violence. How can we help people understand what we represent? Now, she represented it as a Sikh person. The Sikh will tell you that the reason why they wear the turbans that they have, which is a little different looking than, than a Muslim turban, but the reason why they wear it is literally because it's like a red cross, it's like a red cross sign. If you see someone with that turban, it means we're here to help. They literally vow to be helpful to anyone, in, to all humanity, wherever there's a need. And so he was wearing that for that very reason and killed because no one understood. The challenge I think that Jesus is inviting disciples to be about and inviting us to be about today is to be standing by that pole, standing at that post, Reminding people we are all interconnected. We are all one in the very ground of our being, as Paul said it to those Athenians long ago when they were talking about their different gods and said, yes, but there's the one in whom we all live and move and have our being. That when we are grounded in that love, how can we reflect it such that others can see it? What's that passion of yours that you're going to stand firm with because it speaks to that connection? There was a, um, a monk who was in a community of other Christian ascetics and monks, and he really wanted to prove just how monkish he was. He wanted to prove just how powerful in the spirit he was, just how profound he was in his faith. So he studied, and he studied, and he meditated, and he meditated, and he practiced until he literally could walk on water. 
And when he gathered the community around finally after so many months and years to watch him, he got out and he began to step across the water carefully, a little bit, a little bit strenuously too. It was, it was clear this still took a lot of effort. And as he, as he stood out there on the water, he turned around to smile, and then he made his way back, and all the community were looking at each other kind of strangely until finally he said, well, what do you think? And he said, well, we're all wondering why you didn't just learn how to swim. <laughs> you see what gets in the way, Right? You see what gets in the way of our connecting with this interconnectedness of love is our ego, our anxiety, our sense there's not enough, our sense that it's too uncertain and that we're out of control when in fact we are in the midst of this deep abiding love that provides us with the strength and the wisdom and the vision to move forward and through whatever we, whatever we find ourselves in. Mary Oliver put it this way when, she, when this was written on a wall in Germany. It says, it's a serious thing just to be alive on this fresh morning in this broken world. We have this opportunity to be alive every moment and to see it in such a way that we are literally inviting people home. We are literally inviting people to see this wonder and this mystery that we are part of. Um, let's see this next one real quick. This is Hafiz. He was the uh, teacher to Rumi, who we quote that quote every morning when we welcome one another. Hafiz said, are you jealous of the ocean's generosity? Why would you refuse anyone this gift, to give this gift to anyone? Fish don't hold the sacred liquid in cups. They swim the huge fluid in freedom. How do we get there? So we talk about practice. We talk about spiritual discipline. We talk about being in a place of prayer, whether you call that, whether it's times of prayer that you are praying to God as a specific thing, or whether it's times of prayer that you are simply trying to be present to God within you. You're trying to be present to the love that is already a part of your being that we sometimes lose touch with very easily. How do we learn how to swim in the midst? Henry David Thoreau said, we sometimes go through life fishing only to come to realize it wasn't fish we were after, Right? Come and see. I want to finish with one last little story. Some of you have heard me tell this before, but it's so, it's so relevant to this. Um, years and years ago, when I was doing storytelling, I got invited. I was at a library conference. I got invited to go out to this town. And this librarian came up and said, you're not going to want to come out to this town. And I said, well, what's the town? And she said, well, it's uncertain. And I said, well, well just tell me, and I'll tell you if I've ever heard of it. She said, well, it's uncertain. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, it's, in, it's uncertain Texas. I said, there's a town called Uncertain Texas? She said, yes. I said, are they sure? <laughs> she said, yes. So she said, but I'm afraid you won't want to come because in truth, you kind of have to get lost to find it. Well, it turned out that that was true. You do find, you do find it eventually winding around and ended up back in the East Texas woods on Caddo Lake. Some of you know where, the, where it is. And getting there was quite an experience, and being there was an experience because, number one, I know East Texas people. I know what those people are like. I'm not going to fit in with those people at all. But there's something to that idea of learning to get lost in order to see what's really present. And when we're really, when we're really willing to do that, 
when we're willing to get past the differences or the divisiveness and to see one another as, in fact, the Dalai Lama would say, we're all one. Or as Christ would say, we are all grounded in the grace and love of God. If we can get there, we start to discover, oh, yeah, like Valerie Carr said, you're a part of me I just didn't know yet. There aren't any strangers. How do we find that wonder? This is a fun slide. I'll put it up here before the band gets started. So I invite you people, in addition to your mindfulness and to practicing that time of being still, to just allow yourself to start letting go of things so that you get in the practice of letting go when things don't go your way, when your friends irritate you, when your spouse irritates you. I'm still learning, people. It's, I'm still figuring this out. I'm, I'm as fallible as the rest of you. And then I do it and I remind myself, oh, yeah, that's why I need to go back to my practice because I'm still attaching too much to stuff and not being present to what unites us, to what connects us, to the love that's there that I'm just not participating in or inviting participation. So we have to be a part of that practice. That's really what we're invited to. And to be true, to be fair, sometimes you have to be willing to get lost to find it. This last quote, Frederick Buechner said this, if I were called upon to state in a few words the essence of everything I was trying to say as a novelist and a preacher, Frederick Buechner was an, was an author and a preacher, it would be something like this. Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom, in the pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness, touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it, because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. This is what we're invited to, to find ourselves at that place where we've let ourselves be un unfettered, where we've let go enough with, without judgment, where we've kind of set all that aside to open up ourselves enough that we can start hearing that boom, boom, boom. And then we hear the voice that's saying, come on, come and see. Welcome home. Amen. Plant a little happiness 
Dave, you can come back and play with us anytime. <laughs> Good having you. Nice job. <laughs> so uh, let's stand for our benediction. You all do this. I know this. I know so many of you, and I know you all do this. I know you're standing by that pole. And I know you're standing at that post. Many of you found that, and you're, you're that way all the time. I hope you remind yourselves that you're doing that. Maybe every now and then look in the mirror and see God there. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. That's the post we stand at, reflecting the light of the holy in all of our moments and the invitation that to, for others to see that it's not like the wine's running out. In fact, there's a whole lot of it, and life is full of abundance. So we go into the world in pieces. Because we are interconnected, we go in pieces. Ideas get upended, but new ideas always seek ways of being mended. So that even when we feel our lives unraveling, we are always traveling together in pieces, seeking out connections through love. And so, go in pieces. <laughs>